Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Community Church, how are you this morning? Good morning to our Mecca campus, those who are listening on our Facebook page and on our radio station. How are you today? Are you doing well? Are you delighted that the weather is seemingly beginning to warm up? How many of you really like the warm weather? If it is, does anybody in here really want to see snow again? That is a severe behavioral disorder. Make an appointment. <laughs> right? <laughs> I have to tell you this morning, as we, as we uh, finish up this sermon series on Elijah, uh, living outside your comfort zone, this one is entitled Leading Others to Serve. And that's hard to do. It really, it really is, because people only follow those that are good examples that they want to follow. I, re, I, I remember a number of years ago at Decatur Wesleyan Church, it's been, you know, 20, probably 23 or 4 years ago, uh, when I was pastoring there. I've told some of you this story before, uh, but we had, it was, it, we had this massive set of stairs that went up to the front of the church. Frank, you'll remember that. Mandy, remember. Uh, Jessica, you probably remember. And... Uh, it, when it would snow going up the front of this thing, uh, sometimes it would make it, you couldn't see the stairs. It was just like a, a smooth, uh, you know, like a, like a, a slide kind of. And, uh, and you had to go out. There's big pillars on the front of the church. We don't have it anymore. It, the church eventually closed, and it's, it's a private residence now. But um, I remember you had to go out of the front doors. It was an old building. You had to go out in the front and take get to get the mail. And uh, there were some kids across the street that I had tried and tried and tried to evangelize to get to come to our, our Sunday school department and to our children's ministries and that sort of thing. And these boys were constantly out running around, and they would never do it. And every now and then, uh, I would go out, and I, if, if I would go down to the store, and I would bring some candy and stuff, or, or in the summertime, I'd grab popsicles and stuff like that. And I'd sit out there with, a, with this, you know, they never talked to me, but I would leave this bag of popsicles, and I'd sit on that front step, well, on top of that, and I would just sit there and eat a popsicle. And I got their attention by doing nothing but eating a popsicle. And, and they would sit around and they would watch me, and every now and then a brave woman would come up and say, hey, what you got in that box? And I said, what you think's in that box? And uh, every now and then they would come up and I would give them a popsicle, and they thought that was pretty cool. And I got to know them, and I'd say, hey, why don't you guys come? And they, and they never would. But I got to know them a little bit, and I was doing everything I could to get these boys to find out, you know, we're not a cult. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not going to cookie and eat you. You, you, you can come, and it'd be a good time, and, uh, but they just never would. Well, fast forward a little bit in this, this winter, uh, it had snowed, and we had that, you know, I would go in the side door so I didn't go up those steps, and, and usually our vice chairman, his name was Al, he was a good guy, he, he would come and clean those steps off and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I remember it, it had snowed, and then it rained, and then it, it, it like, made it really slick. And so I walked, and I, I walked out, and I noticed those boys out have a snowball fight across the street, 
and it was kind of soupy and kind of nasty outside. And every time a car would go past, there was a slushy, nasty mix on the street, and they would go past and they'd blow it all over Christian, you know. And I didn't think much about it, but I went out, and, I, and those boys captured my attention. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I should go down and get, you know, something that, like hot chocolate or something like that. Because it's a great day to be outside playing. It's not that incredibly cold. But when you're playing in, you know, wet snow, what happens? You get cold. So I could do something. And I, and I, and I reached around, and I always tried to hang on to the door, you know, and then get to the mailbox. And when I did it, you know what happened. And I started losing my footing. And I had to let go of the door because I was, you know, and all of a sudden, next thing I know, whoosh, and I went all the way down. And I could, I could see my feet and my life flashing before my eyes. And you know where I landed. I didn't stop at the sidewalk. I went over the sidewalk and directly into the street, into that slop and soup, and it went. And I laid there. And all these expletives were coming to my mind, and I never said them. But I, I laid there in that foul swill. And the boys were just like, and they just stopped. And I looked at them, and they looked at me, and all of a sudden they went, hey, hey! And I know what I wanted to say to those little blessed things. <laughs> I restrained myself. Because God said, that's your mission field. And if you blow it here, you'll never have another chance. And so I jumped up and I said, hey, 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 I thought I hurt. I'm wet, I'm cold, this stinks. And of course, I lived two hours away. Because we didn't live in town. And I didn't have any clothes there, so I went in and I bet that would have been quite, I, had to I brought a portable heater in there in my office, took everything off and sat in my office. Now that would have been something, wouldn't it? <laughs> Letting that all dry out. I hoping nobody would <laughs> knock at the pastor's door. Anyway, so in my mind, I realized that people only follow others when they know they're real. What do you think about that? We don't follow phonies because when we find out they're phony, we won't follow them anymore. When they find out that they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk, we're not interested anymore. We find out that they're not worth our time. Now, we're kind of like today. A lot of people are out today. But this is a message that we all want to get. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And hang on to that. And then go over to the next chapter, or the next book, which is 2 Kings, and grab chapter 2. We'll look at two places today as we finish up on Elijah. 1 Kings 19 19 to 21. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, and Elisha left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come, come with you. Go back, Elijah replied to me, what have I done to you? In other words, go on. Nobody's making you do anything. You do what you want. God told me to put my cloak around you, but what you do with it is on you. Go on. And so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to all the people. And then they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. 
Now move over to 2 Kings chapter 2. Look at verse 6. I'll give you a second to get there. Some, you're, you're not going there. You just want me to read it to you? Okay. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of prophets went out and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses appeared and separated the two. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And so he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. Now, you remember, this is the one that Elijah put on him many years before. Remember that? He picked up that cloak. And he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak that had fallen, struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Wow. So what do we do with that? In this scripture, my friends, we see how serious the prophet Elisha, who is newly appointed, is about following Elijah. So when Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha, Elisha knows he's being called to serve the Lord. The problem with it is he doesn't know how or what. He's brand spanking new. So he asked permission to go tell his parents goodbye. And Elijah says, go ahead. Nobody's stopping you. Do what you want. God's called you, but I can't make you do it. But then we look at it, we think about what just happened. God's calling you. You can delay. You can procrastinate. You can even make up any excuse that you want, and I'm not going to stop you. It's all your choice. And so Elisha thinks about it, and rather than go procrastinate and think about it, or hide as he probably originally intended, he realizes that God wants him and he needs to go right now. And so rather than just give himself something to fall back on, what does he do? He kills the oxen, he burns the plow stuff, makes this big bonfire, and has barbecue. And he feeds all the servants that are working with him in the field. I think they pretty much knew that this was their severance package. He done. Wow. He's finished. He's going to burn everything he's got. He's not going to farm anymore, is he? Just like that. And guess what? He's got nothing to come back to. If he's burning this stuff and goes on, it doesn't work out. What does he have? Nada. And so basically, he proves that he's serious about following the Lord, being obedient to the call that God's given him. And this is exactly what the Spanish explorer Cortez did when he landed in the New World down in Mexico. He burned all of his ships. Why? Because he was serious about staying there and forcing a colony to erupt from it. Now, all of his, his sailors, they, they're like, you want to do what? I'm going to burn the ships. What? That's our only way home. Yep. Th you, this is home. 
You're not, you're not going back there. You said that when you started out. This is it. We will make it or we'll die. That's it. Burn the ships. He was serious too. So was Elisha. And from this, we, I think we have a question posed to us. I mean, how serious are we about following God or even the pastors and teachers that God is placing over us to learn from? How serious are we? How serious are we from, you know, to leave the past life to the new one? See, most of us, I think, want to live in both. God didn't call you to that. That's what's wrong with the church today. We're living in two worlds. Can't. God said live in this world, but what? Live in this world, but what? Live in this world, but what? Hey, I, I, I'm not sure I, I, I caught it. What, what, what now? Live in this world, but what? Don't be of it, yeah. It's hard to do, isn't it? But when you start doing it, you find it's not that hard to do. Is it really? It's really not. You see where the resolve is here. And here's what keeps you there. In fact is, friends, whether we want to believe it or not, nobody is asking us to burn our house or give all our food away. God didn't say that. But he wants you to know that you have to be serious. And he wants to know how serious you are about his kingdom and your part in it. Do, do we give up when adversity comes? Do we give up when we feel shut out, ridiculed, tired, or even sort of lazy? And don't tell me we don't feel lazy sometimes. Let's face it, you know we do. Well, we'll say it's not laziness, it's something else. But it's lazy. Or do we rather keep pushing forward? I think in this message we're going to see what it means to lead and what it means to follow. Because you have to do both as a Christian. As leaders and followers of Christ, we're to lead by the example that Christ set for us. In Matthew 28, Jesus is about to return to heaven. And where is he? He's on the Mount of Olives. And all the original 12, well, there's 11 now, disciples are around him. And he instructs them to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they're to go and preach his word to anybody that will listen, even to those that won't. <laughs> Amen? We somehow today seem to think it means anybody that, you know, that will come to you and listen. No. God said, go to them and preach to them whether they listen or not. That's another thing that's wrong with the church today, isn't it? So the question is, are we willing to learn the hearts, the resolve, the attitudes, and the character of our followers? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to correct them when necessary, to instruct them, to invest in them, even to offend them when it's necessary? We don't want to offend anybody. Well, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but a lot of people don't want to do it. Amen? On the other side, how will we respond when we're called to be a follower? And perhaps the most important question of all, who are we leading if nobody is following? That's a $10 million question right there. I had inflation. I had to go from a million to 10 million because that's where we're at. And so I begin to think about it, and I realize there's four areas I have to look at as it relates to Elijah. First of all, you have to know your followers. We all do. The church has to know its followers. Every pastor, every church leader has to know their followers. And if I could impart one thing 
of my assistant pastors and our pastoral staff is I am, you know, getting older and getting closer to the time when I'm done and they're getting closer to the time when they start. If there's one thing I could teach them, you have to know your followers. Because I didn't always know my followers, especially early in ministry I didn't. You see, Elijah is realizing that his time is coming to go home and to be with the Lord. We don't get anything from that that he liked it or he didn't like it, just that it was, it was time. But God is answering the question that every leader has at the end of a ministry. And, the, and that question is, who's going to replace me? Who's going to take over? Who's, who's going to do this? And as many leaders know, we're either called toward a task that God has given us or we're called to somebody specifically who may be the person that God will place there. And so Elijah was often called toward an objective or a task. He had been, uh, it had always been a task of setting people free or a task of giving them hope. And as Christians, I think the same is true. We're all called to be leaders, every one of you. See, you don't, you, don't, you don't embrace that. You don't think that because you think, well, I just go to church or other people lead it. But the problem here is when you want things to go your way, then all of a sudden you become a leader. <laughs> How's about that? See, this is, this is how we operate in our mind. We don't want the responsibility. We just want the authority. And that's backwards. I was taught in the Marine Corps that you can delegate authority but not in responsibility. It's on you. And even if you had nothing to do with the train wreck that happened, guess what? You're responsible because you're the leader. And that's when, well, it wasn't my fault. That's when we blame shift. That's when we absolve ourselves of responsibility. But, brethren, when we want things to go our way, we're right in the thick of it because that's how we operate in here because we're comfortable there. It's my way or the highway. I want to feel good about what's happening, and I think my way is best, even if God didn't call me to it. Amen? Come on. God, if you can't admit it, you'll never get anywhere with it, and that's a fact. So we have to ask ourselves, what's our task? Is our task to help people increase their faith? Is it to deepen their understanding of God's will for their lives? Is it to help them be uh, more accountable to their lifestyle and their actions or perhaps their inaction? Is it to help them to learn how to evangelize and lead others to Christ with a proper understanding of true Christianity? Is it to help people to truly learn how to study the Word of God and follow it? Is it our task to plant churches or more satellite churches? I mean, what is it? I mean, what, what, is, what is God telling us? And some of you are thinking, wasn't that for you to decide? No. Is for us together to decide because when we're all plugged into him we all get the same message i'm just a facilitator it's his church and i told this board 21 years ago when i walked in here you may not like what i'll do but i will do carol jimmy marianne and if there's anybody else i missed i will always do what's best for the church regardless of what i like yes or no did i say that Craig, did I say that? I'd like to think I've always done it. The fact of the matter is, this is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his. The whole church universal is his, unless it isn't. Amen? So we have to understand where we are. 
And the fact is, of all the things I just mentioned, honestly, it's likely all of those things in different stages of urgency and timing that we're supposed to do. We just need to know when. How? And sometimes God doesn't tell us how. But I'll tell you this, whatever our task is, we are called to do it. Amen? Whatever it is, we're called to do it. Now, many people look at it as their purpose, you know, uh, purpose to pastor, purpose to lead, purpose to gather with others, purpose to be an assistant to a leader, or even a purpose to help with the ministry. I mean, that's, that's how, how we look at things. And we all have those things that God has called us to, but we all have to realize that our purpose and task can also be not to a task, but to a person. To somebody that God wants us to develop. And in our scripture, we see that Elijah's task is now Elisha. That's where his ministry is going now. He may continue to do the other things, but now God has called him to train and give experiential prowess to this guy who he thinks is going to supplant him, replace him. God didn't tell him that, but that's the plan. And I can't tell you how many times we have groomed people to replace us, and then they end up not replacing us because they didn't accept the task to the point that they should have. It happens all the time. So we don't know until God actually puts Elijah there that he's going to be it. Elijah can only guess. He just knows that God said, go get him. Now, Elisha was tending his own business, and Elijah comes to him, and Elisha knows who he is, obviously, and he, and he found it this, gr this great honor that the mantle is going to be passed to him, and the mantle is his cloak at this point. Elijah takes off his cloak, throws it on Elisha, and Elisha's like, oh, oh. When I was 13 years old, sitting at uh, a Packard United Methodist Church, I knew God called me to ministry, and I said, not a chance, God. And then, and then it became, surely it wasn't God's voice I heard. It must have been just, you know, something else. And it took me a long time, years, college, Marines, married life, children, before I knew God wasn't going to relent and say, nah, you don't have to do it. And I knew it was going to take a complete lifestyle change. I was going to have to burn the ships, burn the bridges behind me of the old life because there was no going back. And that's, that's a scary place to be when, God, when you know God's doing that to you. Because you like where you are. You built this empire. It might not be much, but it's yours. Right? And you, you know what it is. And God says, no, it isn't. It's kind of like being an assistant on a campaign for the mayor when he's elected, and the mayor realizes his team, his team is uh, uh, dissipating. You're the last one left, and his term is about to end. And he says, I, I want to groom you to replace me. It's like, wow, me? And so this is an amazing thing for Elisha, and he, he realizes he's it. He's going to be the prophet of Israel. That's God's intention. And whether he is or not depends on him. I think oftentimes we choose the wrong people, and it's usually for the wrong reasons. I'm getting real with you here. Oftentimes when we're called to a ministry, 
we will gather those who are friends of ours around us to help us with it. Have you ever noticed that? God seldom calls your friends to help you. Are you hearing me now? God seldom does that. A lot of times they'll send you to somebody you don't even like or they don't like you. And the question is, why do we do it? Well, because we know them. We know them well enough that it's easier to ask them. But have we ever done such a thing and never really looked at the heart and the character of the individual? We just were looking at the task needed to get done. We thought they could help us and left it at that. We didn't consider whether God would want to use us not for the task, but to develop somebody else that we don't even like. Tough to be there. And you're going to sit and listen to this and take it in and say, yeah, and then you're going to walk out the door and forget all about it. And when God gives you a task, what are you going to do? You're going to ask those who are familiar to you to help you with it. God doesn't do that. Almost, almost never, actually. I have to tell you the truth. We need to know their heart and their character. Nobody in Elijah's day would have chosen Elisha. He had a mouth on him. He had a mouth on him. He wasn't afraid to say. He was very, if, if two people were different, Elijah and Elisha were very different. If two people were different, it would be Jesus and Peter. Hmm? And who did he choose? To replace him as the leader of the church, I would add. Now, come on, you guys. See? I wouldn't have chosen Peter. You wouldn't have chosen Peter. I wouldn't have chosen Elisha. You wouldn't have chosen Elisha. And I'm here to tell you that when I was called into ministry, none of you would have chosen me to be your pastor. You wouldn't have. <laughs> Might not now either. But you would sure wouldn't have then. That's a fact. And to be honest with you, as I look back, I don't think there's a one of you today that wouldn't choose me. You see, this, this, is, this is, I wouldn't have chosen me. I wouldn't have chosen me. This is, this is how God operates. Nobody in Jesus' day would have chosen the original 12 that he did. Nobody. God's choices are seldom the obvious choice, but they're the right ones. And all too often today, we're choosing, hiring, electing, and following people based on popularity and not much else. Not much else. Friends, that's dangerous. We have to start looking at who this person is and seeking the Lord to give us discernment. Secondly, our commitment will always make the difference. So we have to know our followers, and secondly, our commitment is going to make the difference. What happens after Elijah goes to Elisha? Well, Elisha recognizes that this is a great honor being you know, bestowed upon him. And so he immediately says, let me go tell my family that I'm leaving. And Scripture reveals to us through Jesus that he, he who puts his hand on a plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom in Luke 9. That's what Jesus said. If you're called and you hesitate, you're not fit. And I look back at my life and say, so are you saying that Jesus is saying that when God called you and you made an excuse that you weren't fit? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Are you saying that when God puts someone on your heart as pastor to come and do something and lead it and they balk at it, that they're not fit? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because when God calls, he calls. Now, I realize that sometimes people don't know they're called. 
And I realize that sometimes people aren't sure, right? Because here's what happens. When, you're, when, when, when somebody comes to you and asks you to do a ministry or help with the ministry, here's what you do. You look at your qualifications, you look at what it is, and you think, well, I've never done that before, so I can't be qualified to do it. But God almost never calls those who are qualified. But what does he do? Yeah, he qualifies the call. He, he will see to it that you can do it or he wouldn't have called you. None of these people were qualified to do what Jesus called them to do. I wasn't qualified to be a minister. Every pastor in here, Pastor Chris, Pastor Bob, Pastor Jonathan, uh, Heather, you're in the program. Anybody, listen, nobody was qualified to pastor when they were called. None of us. Am I right? None of us. But notice that Elisha wanted to look back, but then he thinks better of it, and he doesn't. He realizes that he had to end and sever all ties to his past and present life. And so when we begin this new journey, it's sometimes necessary to burn those bridges that are behind us, to close the doors and what we call the escape routes. Right? The escape routes. Our out package. And to make sure that there's no way we can go back. But very few of us are willing to do that. Very few are willing to do that. But this is exactly what Elisha did. He did not end up going back to say goodbye, but he did so with proper resolve and resolution. God did that to me as a pastor, too. He did. We built a brand spanking new home, a really nice home. Because I, at one time, made money, a lot of it. I was executive vice president of a billion-dollar printing corporation in Chicago. And I did really well. My wife was an insurance agent. She did we did really well. We built a gorgeous home. Our kids went to the best school in St. Joseph County. Everybody wanted to be a Penn Kingsman, didn't they, Amber? And God knew that we kind of liked this life. Oh, I was an assistant pastor elsewhere. And then I became the pastor at, at Sunlight Fellowship. And then I didn't realize it at the time, but God took me out of that pastorate when I didn't want to leave it and sent me to a, 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 a much smaller church that was dying in Decatur. I didn't want to go there. They wanted me, but I didn't want them. And I had to drive two hours because we could not find a house to live in down there. We could, it just wouldn't work out. And for three years, I passed through that church and drove it two hours, both ways. We, every Sunday morning, we got up and drove to church for two hours. And every Sunday afternoon, we drove back. Our kids remembered, I know they do. And when you got, you know, six kids in a van, and they don't want to be next to each other. And I couldn't figure out why we couldn't sell our home and move down there. But I realized that God didn't have me there for very long. He was trying to teach me something. That wasn't going to be where I was going to be. He was preparing this congregation for me and me for them. And when I came down here to visit this congregation, I didn't want to come here either. Because I didn't want to come down to southern Indiana. I liked it up in St. Joe County. Thank you very much. But God had other plans. And when I moved here, when God finally convinced me I was supposed to be here, right? 
our house would not sell. It was brand spanking new. It was a couple, three years, four years old. One of the nicest houses in the whole subdivision. And it wouldn't sell. People were selling houses around us, building new houses around us. That sucker would not sell. It sat empty. We moved down here. I had a pretty large house payment. And I wasn't making a lot of money. I'd make a lot less than I did as a pre vice president of a company. And every month I made that couple thousand dollar house payment, and every month the savings went like this. And one day I sat when the office was over here in that little house. You guys remember that little house? I sat there. Craig, remember that little house? And so I sat in there, and I paid the last payment in the savings account, and I didn't have enough in the savings to make another full payment, and I knew it. And guess what happened? Household. Oh, my God, what are you doing? God was burning my bridges. Now, I wasn't going back anyway. Uh, you know, I, we were established here then. We were, we'd been here two years. This was, this was home. And gosh, now we're oceans. <laughs> you know? Raised my kids here. They all graduated from school here. They're all, right? Four of the six stayed. So this is home. But the fact is, God, God he, he will force you to stop and get rid of your out. Your, your pathway back to the old life. Because that life is done. You're never going back to it. And in my mind, I knew that if I failed here as a pastor, and it, it, it might not, it, you know, people go to churches and fail. If you fail here, you can always go back there because I know there are several churches in the area that would take me in a minute. And I didn't know that really until I created this message a year and a half ago. I'm not kidding. I didn't really know that until a year and a half ago that that's what God was doing. I questioned God all these years. I've been here 21 years. And I didn't know that that's what he was doing. You see, friends? That means something. And that, my friends, and now you know, is where my basis and my theme for all in came from. That's it. We're all in. Have to be. I really do have a rhyme or reason for when I do things. We're all in. Elisha slaughters his oxen. He, he makes a barbecue. He feeds all the people and says, see, I'm out here, and I am never coming back. Not only does he know it, they now know it. So they better go do something else too because he's done. The new life has come. The old one is gone. He closed the doors on his present life and was walking through the doors that God opened for the rest of his life. And I began to wonder, how often do we try to keep the old when God calls us to the new? Anybody? Got your attention, don't I? No, God does. God's got your attention. I mean, how often do we try to leave doors open in our past when God has called us into something new? We, we still try to leave people in place from our past life that we know were really not all that good for us, but they're the only friends we've got, so we kind of hang on to them while we try to embrace new ones. And, we're, and, we, and we think in our minds, I'll just transition slowly so that I always have friends. Really? Yeah, that's what we're doing. You know it and I know it. If somebody's not good for you, should you be hanging out with them? Not in any lifestyle. Amen? Okay? 
And I began to think about it. Why are we keeping our options open? What are we afraid of? Why won't we completely sever the ties of our old self and the old life? And I think that's what's wrong with many Christians today. They just can't make this complete transition from the old life to the new. And that's why it's so difficult this day to know what's really Christian and what isn't because we're living in both worlds. No wonder people don't know what it is. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We won't, we won't live a full Christian life and burn the bridges and the ships to the old one. Well, of course they're going to wonder what's what. We even act differently. We kind of tend to become whatever crowd we're with. Even as Christians, we do it. Tell me we don't. Too much compromise. It's like the drug dealer that says he wants to give his life to Christ, but he still leaves connections out there just in case. It's like somebody who's used to stealing, maintaining ways of getting over on people and not trusting God. It's like the adulterer that wants to live his life right, but he still keeps his little black book and doesn't let go of all those little numbers just in case. Really? I tell every single person whose marriage is on the rocks and comes to me and they've had a boyfriend or girlfriend on the side and they haven't cut ties with them. Listen, you will never, ever, ever make your marriage work if you're not all in. You can't have distractions. I don't care what they are. No way. If you're trying, the only person you're fooling is you. Now, if all you want to do is check a box and say, I tried, well, that's on you, but you didn't really try. You just said you did. And other people around you might believe it. Those who support that kind of lifestyle might believe it, but God never will. And he'll know whether you tried or you didn't. And when you meet him, he's the one you got to answer to, not anybody else. Amen? Now, come on. You see, church, when we're committed to letting go and letting God, we say that, but we don't necessarily do it. We have to sever all those things that keep us from walking in righteousness, whether it's a job, a hobby, a lifestyle, or even a person. Anything in our past that even remotely is questionable in the kingdom of God. Questionable. I've talked to many people who are committed to losing weight, and they were pretty successful in doing it. But you know what they wouldn't do? They wouldn't get rid of the clothes that were too big for them anymore. Because what happens if I start gaining weight again? Well, that shouldn't even be on the table. As long as those things are hanging in your closet, there's a temptation in front of you to get off the plan and start doing the old thing again. And before you know it, you might need those clothes again. But if they're not there, you can't get them anyway. And the prospect of having to go buy a whole new wardrobe isn't real pleasing. Well, to some it might be. But what I'm saying to you is, if you're willing to leave those things just in case, then you're willing to look at going back to it. And that's exactly what happens in the Christian lifestyle. You see, the right people can help us realize that this should never even be an option. We should never look back and say, what if I fall back? What we should be saying is, if I fall, I should fall forward and let God take care of the rest. You're going to fall. That's okay. But what's he going to do? He's going to pick you up if you're falling forward and keep you moving. Amen? That's what you do as a parent. Yeah? That's what you do as a parent. How many of you, when your kids started riding a bike or started to walk, didn't get them back up, dust them off, get the mercurochrome on? And I hate a mercurochrome. It burns. Right? Put it on them, put a band-aid on them, and say, now, let's go. Yeah? 
You know what, what a failure as a parent is? And you say, well, no, don't do it anymore. Don't, don't aspire to it. Don't try to walk anymore. Don't try to ride a bike anymore. Even all the other kids are doing it. You don't have to. That's failure. And that person ought not to be a parent. And nobody wants to say that. But it's true. You see, we don't give excuses for that. We shouldn't give excuses for failure, I guess, failure to launch. I think that's a movie, right? As a Christian, you have to do the same thing. God expects you to move up. He does me anyway. Anybody in here, does anybody in here feel like God expects you to move up? Who in here doesn't think God wants them to move up? You ain't going to raise your hand. You may not want to do it, but you're not going to raise your hand. Why? Because you know we're going to hold you accountable for that. I can't see you, but your friends can. Right? Here. Who thought that? Anybody? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody on a spot. Listen, I'm just telling you this is the truth. And you expect to hear the truth when you come here, don't you? Friends, we have to be intentional about letting go of our past. Your commitment to it is everything. Do not allow Satan to talk you into holding on to things that you know have to go. Do not. Amen? Pastor Jonathan, we need to put that somewhere. Do not hang on to things that Satan's telling you ought to be there when you know they've got to go. Thirdly, the importance and necessity of following is important. First, you have to know how to follow before you can lead. You, if, if, you, if you can't follow, you'll never be called to be a leader. Yeah? How, how many of you know that today? I've been a leader my entire life. I didn't aspire to it. God put me there. In fact, if you want to know the truth of it, I didn't care to lead. One of the greatest things that showed how amazing Elijah was at being a leader was choosing the right person to follow him. He knew Elijah's heart. Why? Because God told him. I suspect Elisha wasn't his first choice. I think some of those seminarians that would come out and, and, you know, make him feel good every day and sit under his feet and listen to his teaching, I think those are the ones, one of those guys he'd have, he'd have chosen. But God didn't. God chose this one who had a bald head and, everybody, and, and who people made fun of and was the brash one. God chose that one. He was complete opposite of Elisha. Complete opposite. We never choose someone complete opposite of ourselves. Because we want the ministry to continue in the manner and way that we did it. And God says, no, I want it to go in a different direction and expand. And so what do we do? Choose our way. God says, no, I'm choosing my way. I just want you to teach them. Now, when we're looking for somebody, <laughs> you know, when we're following someone, oftentimes we start looking for a way out and then we take it. This is why people hop churches so much. It really is. When things aren't going the manner and way that we want to go and we're comfortable there, we start looking for another church to go to. Well, God's trying to tell you, I'm teaching you something. I'm pulling you out of your comfort zone. I'm getting you into a challenge. And I need you to listen. God doesn't call you to a church that you're comfortable in all the time. In fact, he seldom does. Seldom does. We pick and choose churches based on somebody we know there or the music we like there or the pastor we like there and I've known people that wouldn't attend a church for one reason or another but then all of a sudden a son goes there to pastor it or 
or somebody they know goes to pastor, and all of a sudden they want to go there? No. If you wouldn't have gone there before, why would you go there now? Listen, you need to open up your eyes and mind and say, where does God want me to be? I think most of you know you're here for a reason, that God called you here. It isn't always comfortable here, is it? But we don't have the problems other churches do, neither. You know, friends, I think that will be true whenever the people and the pastor keep their eyes here. When you do that and you speak the truth and you won't compromise it, it's kind of hard for the Satan to get in. Amen? And I'm real careful about that, letting him get in. He does sometimes. He does sometimes. And I know that out there, there are people that don't agree what I've done or haven't done. I know that you think you ought to lead this or lead that, or somebody else ought to lead this or lead that. It, and you will. God called you to it. But it's going to be in his timing, not mine. I don't look at people and say, who's popular? Who can I put there? I say, Lord, who do you want? And then I say, okay, God. Sometimes I'll say, are you sure, God? And God will say, yep. Okay, I'm with you. Let's go. Even if you don't know that. And then I got to come to you and say, did you know God's calling you to this? Well, right? And I've had people come to me and say, God's called me to do this. I'm like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. You know, what we want, what I want, what, it, it, that's never going to advance the kingdom, is it? And so I began to think more about that. And I realized a couple of things. Oftentimes we want to take the easy road. Has anybody ever taken the easy road? It's not that we lose sight or hope of our goal. We just get distracted by a lesser and more obtainable goal. Right? I did that, by the way. When I was in the doctoral program in the University of London, I was in a doctor of theology program. Anybody, did anybody in here know that? I was in a doctor of theology <laughs> program. And that's one of the most difficult, most time-intensive programs on the planet. I was pastoring a church full-time, going to school full-time, and working full-time. Anybody in here knows you can't do it. And when I went to my doctor, because I wasn't feeling well, and he said, you have an enlarged heart. Get off the caffeine and get off the stress. I didn't tell him I was taking spoonfuls of instant coffee and drinking Mountain Dew with it. Probably not a good thing to do, by the way. So if you, I, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm telling you not to do that. But I was doing that, and it was killing me. He said, if you don't get off the stress and get off the caffeine, we're going to bury you in a year. And I was in my 30s. And I said, he said, I'm serious. Something's got to give. And what do you think gave? Did I give up my job? I did not. Because I didn't see how I could. Did I give up pastoring my church? No, because they needed me. So something needed to give. So what did I give up? I tried to quit. And they said, no, no, you can't quit. You need, you're, you're in a star in this program. We need you to stay in this. You're going to be a great theologian. You need to stay. 
And I said, what if I go to something else? And they said, are you serious? Yeah. I don't know if it was a mistake, but that's what I did. They made me think about it. He came back two years, or two, two years, two weeks later, and so my class advisor said, well, if you, if you change paths and you, you dump all these things and move over here and do a thesis on this, you can get a doctor of ministry degree, a doctor of ministry in theology. It's a lesser degree, but you can do it. And you can complete it in about six months. And that's what I did. And so I moved here and completed my doctoral degree when I was here. You guys remember that? But it's a lesser one. Not a day goes by that I don't wish I didn't continue in the, in the more difficult one. Listen, I, don't, I still to this day don't know the right thing or the wrong thing. But what I do know is I did what I felt was best at the time. But I think I could have had other choices. Maybe I should have given up a job. Maybe I should have given up that prestigiousness of being the who's who in the printing industry. There's a consequence for everything that you do. Now, God's still going to use me. He has. But I could be better than I am. And I'm telling you from experience, let go and let God. Look to him. Know what he has for you. Elisha said, I am not going to take the road of least resistance. He gives this idea to us that when Elijah says, you stay here. He said, no, 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 no. That would have been easier because he sure needed a rest. He needed to be, he, right, because Elijah was a nut, man. He, he went here and there and here and there. He never quit. And Elisha, the Bible indicates to us, is like, dude, we don't have to see those people today. We can go there next week. Elijah said, no, because he knew he didn't have time. He knew his time was coming to an end, and he needed to go now. Either you go with me or you stay here. Whatever, I'm going. And Elijah said, nope, I won't. I don't want to go, but I'm not leaving you. Let's go. And he did. You have to understand something. When you're following, you have to follow closely, pay attention to those who are leading you. Did you hear me? Pay attention. Talked about that this morning, Jay. Pay attention. You have to learn. I remember as a young assistant pastor, my senior pastor said to me, Dan, you can probably finish any sermon I start because you know the scripture well enough to know where I'm probably going with it. You can guess. I'll bet you I could start it and you could complete it. It might not be to the depth that I would do it, but you could probably know where it's going. But being a pastor and leading people is more than just knowing the word of God and preaching it. That's what he said to me. He said, I need you to pay attention to how I preach and how I pay attention to the needs of the people because that determines how I bring it. And that opened my mind to an entirely new level of ministry. And I wish I could teach that to those who are assisting me. I hope they get it. Because I can't take what's in here and just give it to them. You, no more that could be given to me. It's experiential. It's learning. It's putting in the time. It, it's being patient until your time comes.
We sometimes feel that just because we have a sermon in our heart or some scripture verses that we can speak on or that we think we know what a pastor ought to be, that somehow we're ready to preach and be one. We somehow think that we're ready to lead a Bible study. We somehow think we're ready to, to, to lead a small group. And maybe you're hearing me talk in t- out of both sides of my mouth here. I'm not. I'm telling you that when God calls you, don't procrastinate, but also be patient for his timing. That's what I'm saying to you. Be patient. Don't do it in your own strength or timing. Do it in his. If he's really called you, he'll open the door when the time's right. Don't be so hasty. And it's not just about pastoring. It's about everything in life. Elisha knew that it took more than just knowing God's word and having a servant's heart to be the man of God and a prophet. He knew that just because he was called to a life like Elijah didn't mean he was ready to assume it. He realized that God calls people to something but then gives them time to learn either under someone or for the timing to be right. David was anointed king over Israel by the prophet Samuel, but he didn't become king for years afterward. He had opportunity to kill the king and assume the throne, but he wouldn't. Even though he was going to be king. Elisha understood this, so he decides to follow Elijah. Let God determine the how, the why, and the when. And all he had to do was be obedient, follow with diligence, and so he submitted to God and Elijah, and he did so, my friends, with a proper attitude. And more than that, we have to know what we want as we follow. I want to explain this very carefully to you. I think there are an awful lot of young people today that when you ask them what they want to do in life, they simply just don't know. I've observed people of just about every age in, in a restaurant, when asked what they want to eat, they just can't make up their minds. They don't know. I think we have too many choices. They don't know. My grandparents used to tell a time that there wasn't choices. You ate what was there. There weren't choices. Restaurants are starting to learn today that their menus are too big. We can't possibly be everything to everybody. And you know what? Churches can't be everything to everybody neither. So be what you are, and God will bring the people to it. Amen? That's what we have to do. One of the greatest things I learned from being in debt is that when someone asks you how much debt you have, you should be able to tell them. Are you grasping this? You know why? If you can't, you probably have no plan to get out of debt. How am I doing so far? And you'll typically always have debt if you think that way. I hate debt. Anybody hate debt? Then why do we have so much of it? I'm not telling you what you should do. It's not my business. But I'll tell you this. The question is, how do you know what you need if you don't know what you need? How can you say you want to be debt-free, yet you don't even know how much you owe? How can you say you want to live a certain lifestyle when you don't know how much that lifestyle costs you? The reason is today, we don't care what things cost. We just want them. And the danger is, we think we should have them no matter what, because we deserve them. That's the problem. And you know who I blame? Not the people that are doing it, the people that taught them that. That's who I blame. Parents and grandparents, that's on you. It is. And it's on me, because we've all done it to a point. You see me with my grandkids, you know what I am. Right? 
especially my granddaughters. Yeah, she's right here all day long, twice on Sunday. I'm not kidding. Am I right, Chris? He lets me have it. <laughs> Vanessa's got me, and, sh and she knows it. They all do. But when I was growing up, friends, it wasn't like that. We were taught to consider the cost, and if we wanted something, we planned on how to get it. Anybody identify with that at all? We took responsibility for the planning and the cost to get it. None of us thought we deserved anything other than what we could reasonably afford to acquire. How am I doing? Okay. And it, 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 is, it isn't like that today. And this is why we struggle to get great leaders. You see, Elisha understood this. He understood that in order for him to be like Elijah, he needed a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, you, you look at that and you think, oh, well, well, you know. Now, think about this for a minute. He knew that times were changing, and there were, there were more difficult times to minister now than when Elijah started. You and I need to realize that it's more difficult to minister now than when I started 30 years ago. I told the general superintendent of Wesleyan Church when Joanne Lyon was at, my gosh, 10 years ago, I said, Joanne, we have got to do something here. We have got to, we've got to get a hold of Iwoo. We've got to get a hold of Oakwoo. We've got to get a hold of, uh, of our uh, uh, Bethany Bible College in Azusa. We've got to get a hold of these, of these schools that our kids go to and say, listen, stop teaching these kids to pastor the church of yesterday. It's gone. We've got to stop teaching them how to pastor the church of today. It ain't going to be here tomorrow. We've got to teach them how to pastor the one that's coming. Because nobody taught any of us how to pastor this one. I can tell you right now. Nobody, no pastor I know that knows anything, knows how to pastor the church of today because we didn't know it was coming. Nobody knew we would be here. So we're kind of making it up as we go. And that's kind of dangerous, you know. Now, God's going to do some of that with you. But we got to be better prepared than that. Some people might say that Elisha was kind of arrogant and asking for that, or that he was a little narcissistic maybe, or maybe even self-centered. But what they don't understand is Elisha realized that as we follow after someone and take on their position, our job is not to continue on or maintain what they did. Our job is to take it to the next level, and that level is going to be different. God didn't call Elisha to pastor the church that Elisha was going to pastor. He called Elisha to do that. And he wasn't ready. But God called him. And God determined when the time was right. Hmm. You see, we're supposed to make it better than it was. God expects us to do that. We're not just to remain in the status quo. It has to become something greater than what was left to us. And we find out in the story of the talents that the ruler had given talents to three different people, but one of them did nothing other than bury the talents. And when the ruler came back, he called that servant wicked. I want to ask you a question. How often do you think that you and I really deserve to be called wicked because we refuse to multiply what God has given us? That's a sobering thought. And you can't give yourself an out or a crutch on it either because it isn't up to you. And everybody's got to answer the question. This is what Elisha's saying. Give me more so I can multiply the work that, you, that you've given me. We have to be ready and willing to do the work that God has for us to multiply. And more than that, it will require us knowing what we want. 
And let me be very clear with you here. Because God had to be clear with me first, you know. It isn't really about what you want. What you want ought to be what God wants. And when you merge the two, now he can do something with it. Too often, we do what we want, but what we want doesn't match what God wants, and those things have to come together and be one. And no, you can't convince yourself that God wants something when he doesn't. We try, but you really can't do it. So we have to stop saying God told us or justifying what we want by saying God wants it too. No, that will never work, and you will fail, I assure you. Lastly, can you handle what you asked for? This is a big one. I know we're out of time, but you have to listen to this. Elijah reveals that what Elijah asked for is difficult. It wasn't hard simply because of what it would take. It had to do with Elijah's faith, or Elisha's faith. You see, Elijah knew that everything he did was based on his faith with God. And we've seen in our past studies throughout this series that Elijah had to depend on God. He had to depend on God when there was famine, depended on God when there was death, depended on God when he was threatened, had to depend on God in times of war, and his ministry, you know, spanned a, a lengthy period of time. He always had to depend on God. And the reason it was a hard task is simply because he knew what it was going to take to get that, to minister to today. He knew. Therefore, Elijah's answer had to be, if you're with me when I go on, that means you've got the medal and God's going to bestow upon you what you need. This is a test from God, not me. And if you're there, you'll get it. And if you're not, you won't. Thanks be to God, he did it. And he saw it. You see, Elijah didn't have the answer to Elisha's faith, but God did. How often do we find that we gave up too soon? How often have we taken our eyes off the prize? Or when someone is teaching, we got distracted. We couldn't allow ourselves to get distracted because in the twinkling of an eye, the very thing we're waiting for could be gone. I'll never forget when I was in college, and I can't remember which professor it was. It was one of my theological professors. Showed us a video of some, of some whale watchers on a boat uh, in the ocean. And uh, there were some younger folks on there, and there were some middle-aged folks and some older folks. And it never stuns me, as I watched this video, the older folks were watching with their cameras. The younger folks had fo cell phones. And they were, what were they doing? <laughs> and all of a sudden, here come a whale. And all the older folks are <laughs> there it is, I got it! And it was, what? Where? Where? Gone. And they never saw another one. The whole idea was to pay money to go out on this boat to whale watch and get pictures of it. And you know who got the pictures? The ones that used the outdated cameras with Kodachrome in them. That's who. I'm not picking on young people. I'm not picking on technology. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is your diligence is important. The Bible tells us about the ten virgins and the bridegroom, doesn't it? Now, if you don't know that story, you ought to read it. Some of them got it, some of them didn't. Yeah? Why? Because their eye wasn't on the prize. It wasn't on what they were there for. And in ministry, that's exactly how we operate in the church. Friends, <laughs> the moment only comes when you pay attention. You have to pay attention. Elijah is telling Elisha, for you to have what I have in a double portion of what I have, you must always keep your eye on me because I will always have mine on God. There's a song out there. I used to sing it. 
and I, and I had my son Frank sit with me one time at Sunlight Fellowship, and, and, and the song says, Lord, I want to be like you because he wants to be like me. I probably haven't done a very good job the whole of my life, but I knew what I wanted. As pastors, we teach our church members to follow us as we follow God. And that means we have to always follow God for them to follow us. And Elijah did that. He saw Elijah go to glory, and that's when Elijah saw the mantle of Elijah pass on to him through the cloak. Sometimes we need to know when to let go. Elisha understood that when he had to let go of Elijah, but we see that it was hard for him to accept it, but we also know he understood because he accepted the mantle. He didn't know where it was going to go or how it was going to be, but he knew he was willing to accept it. He accepted the responsibility. He moved forward into the position that was passed to him. And so Elisha took the cloak. He went back to the same river. He snapped the waters, and he called on the God of Elijah, and the waters parted. He had faith. If he didn't have faith, he wouldn't have done it, and the waters wouldn't have parted. I'm sure of that. Anybody? We're going to have to have the same faith. And when we're following people, we have to know when it's time to step out on our own. When we're leading, we have to know when it's time to leave the student and go on to our next destination. And too often, we want to remain in that position we're in. Why? Because we're comfortable there. Instead of living for the position that God wants us to move to, we're going to have to have faith that God knows what he's doing for us and for them. And as our worship team comes today, Scotty, whoever's leading worship at Mecca, it's important for us to be ready when we're called and not to be too busy. Or we're going to miss out on the calling. Elijah knew his time on earth was ending, and even so, he was obedient, and he trusted God no matter what. He trusted God no matter the situation. He trusted God no matter what he was placed in. Faith in God, my friends, will always help us endure any situation we're in. Why? Because God will see to it. He called us to it in the first place. Are we following God and fulfilling our purpose? Well, if we are, then we have to ask ourselves, who is following us? And how are we leading others? And if nobody's following us, then we're probably not leading in the right way, are we? And we need to get focused and let God do what he does. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.